Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art, where we bring you a new story about your world in every episode. Today's guest is Commissioner Roy De Los Santos. He represents my hometown of Brownsville, Texas, where this past summer, he made history by becoming the town's first ever openly gay official elected to office. We'll talk about how Brownsville has progressed over the years and what his goals are for the city on the border by the sea. Thank you for following the Jesse Garcia Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. For more information about the podcast, visit jessegarciashow.com. When I grew up in Brownsville, Texas, I loved my hometown. It was a small community with a proud tradition of celebrating both American and Mexican culture. Families, parades, high school football, our bustling downtown, church on Sunday, our beautiful parks, and our amazing zoo. It was all great until I became a teenager. That's when I first started to feel that my hometown was getting too small for me. I began to realize the homophobia at school, in my family, and in my social circles. Strict gender roles were defined, and since I didn't fit into them, I had to leave. But some brave souls stayed behind in Brownsville, and after many years, LGBTQ leaders started emerging and organizing politically. One in particular is Roy de los Santos. He served on the city's first LGBTQ task force. Little did he know that it would serve as a stepping stone into his new role as city commissioner of Brownsville by becoming the first openly gay politician elected to the city. He, along with the rest of the city commission, has helped Brownsville survive the pandemic by ensuring the economy has kept churning at record speed. Sales tax revenues are amazingly up, major investment is coming into the city, and of course, Elon Musk brought SpaceX to the outskirts of Brownsville, ensuring future growth in revenue, future investment in education, and more strong families moving into the city that is ready to serve as the launch pad to the stars. And of course, a gay man is at City Hall, ready to make that future happen. On the podcast today is a history maker from my hometown of Brownsville, Texas. In its 174-year history, Brownsville has never had an openly gay elected official. But that all changed last summer when Roy de los Santos stepped up to run for public service and entered the history books. Welcome to the show, Roy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So growing up in, in Brownsville, it was a very very it's south texas very conservative very very catholic yes we had to go through a lot just to be if we wanted to live our authentic selves and you're doing it today and you got elected to office but before we talk about your history making role tell me a little bit about yourself how where did you go to school what are you currently working in Born and raised in Brownsville, a uh, product of the public school system. I went to elementary school at Palm Grove because 
I grew up out on Southmost. I graduated from Nevada too. High School, class of 92. Sorry. We were the first. Sorry to interrupt. Nice. Very I went good. to Palm Grove. To no one ever hears about Palm Grove. Wow. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Yep. That's okay. Uh, Rivera High School, we were the first freshman class when they opened their doors. I was very proud of that. And uh, now I work for AT&T. I did some undergrad work and I've got my MBA uh, through Western Governors University. Been with AT&T 22 years now. And uh, also on several boards locally and in Austin. So you are had a good run, you know, and still working with AT&T. What made you decide to seek public office? <laughs> I mean, you got a good oh, life right now, you know, working in the private sector. What makes you get into the political world? There, the lack of good representation, I would say. The, the incumbent was not seeking re-election. You know, I've always been very involved in the community. And I, I'd thrown my hat in the ring a few times before for public office. Uh, this was the race I threw myself into the most, though. But it was because the incumbent was not seeking re-election. And the few names I was hearing as potential candidates for this position were not people that I would want representing me. They're not people I'd feel comfortable voting for. And I wouldn't have confidence that they would uh, represent my interests well uh, at the city level. And so my first priority was finding a good candidate. I had no desire to be the candidate. And, and I, I found folks that I thought would be really great at this, one in particular who I lobbied pretty hard. Uh, he couldn't do it ultimately, and I understand why it would have been a conflict for him. But once the folks that I would have loved to have representing me made clear that they wouldn't be jumping into the race, several friends and family members said, you've got to do it. If you don't have someone else, you've got to do it yourself. And uh, reluctantly, I went ahead and accepted it and signed up to, to run. You stepped up and you stepped up big. Yes. But you've done your work. I mean, you've served on, like you said, on boards, including one history making board that when I found out that this actually happened, they appointed an LGBTQ task force. Tell me about that. How, how you served on that task force prior to getting elected. Tell us about what your journey was. Yes. I'm very proud of that. That was one of the, I was one of the first members appointed to the board. The board was created by the city commission in December of 2019 and 2020 first quarter, they got through the first round of appointments. There were seven positions. They appointed the first six and the commissioner for district three was not at the meeting. So that was the one position that was vacant. And this was when I first started to hear about the task force because a very close friend of mine was appointed to it. I started to pay attention, take notice. I wasn't involved in creating it. I absolutely would not take credit for that because there's folks that put in a lot of time and energy working with the city to make that happen. And they deserve full credit for that. But after those six were appointed and I started paying closer attention, I knew the one vacancy was for District 3. And so I looked at who the applicants were from District 3. And there was one who, who I know who's a, a very nice person in the local community, but I don't see them necessarily as, as a, a real strong advocate that was going to be out there speaking and representing for the community. And there was another who, who everybody knows the name because he's run for office more times than just about anybody I know. 
And uh, <laughs> same thing there. I saw these names and I'm like, these aren't who I would want representing the LGBTQ interests for the district three position. And so I reached out to the commissioner and I told him, I said, I, I don't need to be on any more boards. I said, I'm on several boards already. I said, but I see the pool that you have to choose from. I said, if you've got somebody else in mind, by all means, please appoint someone you've got in mind. But if you do not, and if you're looking for somebody that I'm willing to serve, because I think this task force is so important. Because yes, it's the first of its kind in the Valley. I believe the first of its kind south of San Antonio. So, and to see it happening here in our hometown, like, it was a paramount importance to me that we had good representation on it. It was uh, beautiful. And the commissioner right away said, no, I would absolutely love to serve. I'm sorry. It, it was beautiful to see that you're not only I, working on putting up a pride flag during Pride Month in June, but you were working on non-discrimination stuff, correct? Yes, one of the, the top priorities for us was drafting a non-discrimination ordinance or a fair practices ordinance. Um, the team had preliminary meetings. We talked about ideas, elements we wanted to include. Then I took the helm at researching what was in place in Austin and Dallas and other cities in Texas and crafting the first version of the language. We then reached out to partners like Lambda Legal, Equality Texas, the Human Rights Campaign and the ACLU, got their feedback and input. Then we started working with our legal department here locally. And we are, I'm happy to say in the, the very last stages of legal approval, it's uh, been reviewed by the assistant, a city attorney who's been assigned to it. It's now been escalated to the city attorney for final approval. And then we should be ready to adopt it and recommend it to the city commission. And by we, it's the task force would then adopt it, give it their blessing and recommend it to the commission for consideration. Godspeed on that. Good work on that. Thank you. Bravo. Um, prior, uh, seeking the office, that was some history making stuff that you did there. Was it contentious, this election? Extremely. Uh, it wasn't too, too bad early on, but I think after the filing deadline passed, the, the opponent ramped up. I had two opponents initially, but it wasn't until uh, there was one opponent who was who I still consider a friend, Carlos Elizondo. My other opponent, they they were the, the more contentious of the two. And she is right wing. And so big issues for them, even though everything on my platform was about infrastructure, economic development, emergency preparedness, and things of that nature, some of their biggest issues were my work on the task force and things that I had done and things that I stand for and support, like the pride flag flying in our city, like uh, story time with kids, where it's yes. books that are considered to be LGBTQ friendly, which we know in, in looking at these, anyone with common sense can see these are about just teaching kids that it's okay to be different and it's okay to be yourself. But they'd like to paint this as, as something more nefarious. So those are what they use to attack me to a great extent. And they would try to say, this isn't about voice sexuality, but inevitably, whenever they put things out, the rainbow colors were there. Yep. My work on the task force was there. And then they they take it to the extreme, trying to say that I was the founder, that I'm the mastermind, that I'm the one trying to, to turn Brownsville into a rainbow city. And, and they sold a lot of conservatives on the idea that I have this huge gay agenda and conservative values are absolutely in danger if my agenda is enacted. And now here I am going on six months later 
and several conservatives are like, we haven't seen anything radical. Everything he's working on is good for the city. So I think people are starting to realize those are all a bunch of lies. Tell us about the current issues that you're working on. <clears throat> Big issues right now, uh, employment benefits. We, we need to be more competitive as a city in retaining our talent and compensating the, the talent that we've got. So ensuring we, we increase wages and we provide good benefits for our employees is a priority. Uh, economic development is huge. Right now, our reliance on property taxes is far too heavy. And the only way to really combat that is to increase revenues from other streams. One of the best would be tourism and the industrial sector <coughs> and sales tax revenues, excuse me. <coughs> I've been out in the night air too much, so it's been affecting me. Um, but increasing tourism so we can generate sales tax revenues to bring down the property tax rates and, and growing our tax base. Those are important to me. Uh, drainage and flooding is also one of my biggest right now because about a week, week or two after my election and my swearing in, we had a flood. And we've had another one since then also. What do you hope to accomplish in your first term as city commissioner? In my first term, my ultimate goal would be that Brownsville be known for, and for it today because it's not true, but be known for being one of the best cities to work with when wanting to open a new business. Right now, that is not true. We are in the right direction, but we've got a long ways to go. I hear too much from builders, developers, property owners, business owners that it's really, really challenging, the permitting process. So we've got a great team in place now. They are dedicated to fixing this. We've got great partnerships with the university, with UTRGB, and with uh, Brownsville Community Improvement Corporation, creating the Entrepreneurial Center, which is the eBridge Center. I expect great things to come in the next few years, and I'm gonna keep pushing from my side. I'm all about data. I wanna know how long is it taking to get someone a permit from, a, from start point to finish point? And how do we bring those times down? How do we make it a friendlier process? That's a lot of what I've done at, at AT&T over the years. It's been about using data and how do we make processes better? It's been about customer experience. So and you're, that's bring, what you're, you're bringing some of the private sector know-how to Brownsville. That's great. Absolutely. And, and that's something I've done in a lot of the, the different positions I've been in. So Battle Festival is one of them, is just bringing practical, common sense, business-minded approaches to how you operate and you can't fail if you do it that way just look at it what makes sense and do it the right way if days can do one thing it's organized that's right yes <laughs> so that's definitely the, one of the biggest ones for me but i think another one that's going to be a few a huge feather in my cap and i think this one's going to be even easier to attain is raising the standards with regard to flooding and drainage for new development in brownsville the standards are about 20 years old. We have neighborhoods that are not that old that have flooding issues. And it's because the standards that those developers had to build to were not anywhere near where they should be. And we're absolutely on track to change that. It may take us another eight months to get there, but we're absolutely headed in the right direction. And that's something, if, if it comes to fruition the way I envision it, that's something I'll be very, very proud of. We've got a lot of money coming in to tackle existing flooding and drainage issues, which is great. But if we're allowing new ones to continue to be created behind us while that's happening, uh, that's a problem. And it's ultimately the taxpayers that have to foot the bill in. 
is Brownsville trending as a more LGBTQ friendly place to live and work in your opinion? In my opinion, I would absolutely say yes. Um, I hope so, because I'm going to retire there soon. <laughs> I have to qualify that. I would say yes, because of the things we're seeing. We've absolutely got a friendly government. They're very supportive of the LGBTQ community. There's a lot more resources out there for the community. And the community's coming together, getting to know one another. Businesses are more supportive. Uh, a good example is five years ago when a lot of our local activists were trying to organize like a drag brunch there wasn't a single business that was willing to participate in something like that now there's never a problem getting a business to host something like this the doghouse i have to give a shout out was the first and continues to be one of our strongest supporters we're very proud of the doghouse but we've got gay bars and other businesses that are gay friendly and everybody hosts drag brunches now and it's fantastic to see so it's definitely headed in the right direction. It's definitely a better place than it used to be. By the same token, I think some of our detractors are also emboldened by the fact that we're proud of who we are and we're able to be out. And I know I hear that from people. They're like, you don't need to rub it in our faces. And I'm like, it's not about rubbing in your faces. It's just about just like you live who you are, your truth every day. That's all we're trying to do. It's not about shoving it in your face. Just like you wearing a cross is not you shoving your religion in my face. You holding hands with your husband or wife is not shoving heterosexuality in my face. It's just you being you and being happy. And that's all anyone and everyone should, should strive for. On the border by the sea, why should LGBTQ folks consider Brownsville as a destination to visit? It's on the border by the sea and beyond now. Because of SpaceX and their mission to get us to Mars, the slogan for the city has changed, on the border, by the sea, and beyond. I love that. Uh, why should people look at this as a destination? One, this is a city very rich in history. Second most historic city in, in, in Texas, as far as we're concerned. Uh, last battle of the Civil War, first battles of the Mexican-American War were fought here. So we're very proud of, of some of our historical sites. We've got a fantastic zoo, the Gladys Porter Zoo, which is a place that, that is really instrumental in helping to protect endangered species and repopulate species in a controlled way and in a healthy way. Uh, the beaches, the climate, the geography down here, our proximity to Mexico, uh, it gives people the opportunity to see also that the horror stories you may hear about life on the border, none of that's true. Any crisis you hear about at the border, I live here, I work here, I play here, I ride my bike downtown within 200 feet of the international bridge with Mexico, there's no crisis, there's no fear, there's no problem there. Are there issues we deal with as a border community? Absolutely. But do I feel like my life is in danger? No. Do I feel like this city is in crisis? Absolutely not. I feel like this is a community that takes care of its own, that welcomes guests, that welcomes neighbors and helps them acclimate and assimilate whatever they need to do to become part of this country. Thank you so much, Roy, for your time and for sharing how great Brownsville is becoming for LGBTQ people. You've laid the groundwork to make it a more inclusive place. And where can people follow you if they want to learn more about you and the work that you're doing down there? Uh, I'll send you the links to both my Facebook for uh, my, my committed page as a commissioner. But my campaign site is www.voteforroy. And that's the number four, voteforroy.com. 
and I think that links to my Facebook from there. So that'll be the easiest way to do that. Thank you so much, Roy. My pleasure. Thank you.